<clears throat> okay, good morning, Park Community Church. So great to be here. My name is Joe Riccardi, for those of you who don't know me, and I have the pleasure of serving as our pastor at our Lincoln Park Church that starting next week, we'll be meeting back at the Francis Parker School. And happy Father's Day. I see Danny here. I see Alan out there. I see Ralph over here. There's a lot of dads here. Happy Father's Days uh, to the dads that are gathered here. I was thinking just a few moments ago, I was talking to Jonathan Masters. Happy Father's Day to Jonathan. And talking, I was thinking to myself, wow, uh, today, since when we move back to Francis Parker, I will not be traveling back and forth. So if you're coming up near North today and you're like, wow, I love the music. Lisa was great. The prayers were great, but the preaching was just not good. You won't hear me again. So you keep coming back. This is the last time. So please come back. And, and, but then that also freed me up. I thought, well, I'm not going back there, so I could be really bold today. I could say all kinds of things because they're not inviting me back anyway. So it's a win-win for both of us, okay? So happy first day of summer. It is a privilege to open up the Word of God with you today as we continue in this series in the book of Acts. So you might be brand new today. You might not even know anything about Jesus and the Bible. And the book of Acts is... Uh, 28-chapter book found in the New Testament whose author is a man by the name of Luke. Luke actually wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. So Luke ends, Jesus ascends uh, to the Father. Actually, Acts has Jesus still with us. They both kind of repeat that theme. And in essence, Acts is answering the question, what happens after Jesus resurrects from the dead, spends 40 days with the disciples, ascends back to the Father, what happens? What's next? Acts tells us what unfolds as Jesus rises to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes, and Acts will detail to us the formation of the early church. And we are, I think, in week 17. I think it's a 34-week series. Today is about week 17, and so uh, this is going to be uh, just a great Great story today that we're going to read. Uh, like I said earlier, it's essentially an unfolding story of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, how it spread from an initial small group of 120 followers to an unstoppable movement uh, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Each chapter seems to reveal to us something new about what God is doing and his redemptive work in the world until the gospel is spread so that there is no place left for it to spread. And the chapter before us today is no different. Anyone recognize this photo? There's a photo coming up. Anyone know that photo? 2264 North Lincoln Potbellies. That is the original Potbellies. 1977, Peter Hastings started Potbellies. I remember when I moved here, 2128 North Hudson, and in April of 93, and I just thought that was the greatest sandwich place ever. Well, Bryant Keel bought it in 1997, and Bryant Keel had a mission. He had a mission to spread the supremacy of Potbellies all across the country and even to the world. So Potbellies went from that one store from, from 1977 to 1996 when Brian bought it and he had some investors come. He says people need to experience Potbellies. So he went on a missionary journey across the globe to, 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 to put outposts of Potbellies so people could experience the glory of a Potbelly sandwich or a shake across, across the country and the world. Well, today... What we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 14 is a continuation from 13 where Paul is finishing up his first missionary journey. Paul was on, we, the Acts records three missionary journeys and Paul's passion in these missionary journeys were, were to set up outposts of the gospel called local churches all across the ancient world so that others could experience the good news of the gospel far better than any sandwich shop or any business Paul was committed to seeing the gospel be spread 
elders being formed, churches being started all across the globe. And so this will be exciting. Today's story is incredible, filled with miracles, stonings, exhortations, and praise. So I hope you've come ready uh, to have your heart blessed by the word of God. So let me pray first, and then we'll dig into Acts chapter 14. Our Father in heaven, we pause to acknowledge that you are the living God who made the world and everything in it. And you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And you are the ultimate reason why each of us in this room or on YouTube have life and breath. And you made us to know you and to worship you and to love Christ and to walk in the spirit. So I pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might use this section from your word to bring spiritual renewal to all of our hearts, to strengthen our souls, to hear your whisper, to obey your leading, and that you would give new life to any who worship other than you this morning, the only true God, you would reveal yourself to them in the person of Christ. We believe you could do that, God, even this morning on a very ordinary day in June. So we love you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles with us, you could turn to Acts chapter 14. If not, the verses will appear on the screen or you could turn on your app. Like I said, I want to just give some context for the verses before us. Paul is in the midst of his first missionary journey, hoping to see the gospel spread all over the ancient world through the establishment of local churches. We have a map here of what this looked like. So Paul right now, starting point is right there, Antioch of Syria. And you're going to see his journeys are going to take him to Antioch of Pisidia. There's two Antiochs. You're going, to, you're going to hear me mention when I read from 14.1, he starts off in Iconium. And then you're going to see after we, the, the verses before us in 14.8, he's in Lystra, which is a, right around 100 miles apart. And then eventually Paul will come back to Antioch. That's where we'll end uh, the, the remaining, the ending verses for today. So that just gives you an idea. That's modern day Turkey where he's going to. And uh, he starts off in Antioch of Syria, travels first to uh, Cyprus, and then again, when the story picks up where we're at today, he will be, he will be in Iconium, okay? Pastor Nate covered the beginning of the journey last week from chapter 13. And by way of memory, there's something um, historical, uh, redemptive event. There was a historical redemptive event that took place for the first time that's recorded in Acts 13. And that's that the gospel came to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world. To most people in this room, I would suspect, prior to Acts 13, the gospel Paul was preaching to, was, he was preaching to a primarily Jewish audience. Now in Acts 13 and into Acts 14, praise God, the gospel becomes fair game to all people. So let's read Acts 14, 1 through 7, just to set the stage for the verses that we'll dig into today, just so you have an idea of where Paul's at. So now at Iconium, which I just highlighted for you, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. Renewal is happening, right? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and somewhat the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So that's the context for where we're going in Acts 14.8, right? Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. They're preaching. Revival's happening. Unbelieving Jews are hating this. So they uh, uh, work up the Gentiles, the unbelieving Gentiles, to kind of come after Paul and Barnabas. 
right? They say, we're going to stone him. Paul gets word of that. Paul thinks getting stoned is not the greatest idea. So he says, let's take off and go to Lystra. And that's where we are this morning in the text before us. So, but before we go there, does anyone remember? I preached the first message in, the, in this series on February 7th, I think it was, Super Bowl Sunday. And we said there's a theme verse from Acts chapter 1 that kind of covers and permeates the whole book. Anyone remember that? Anyone in Near North remember what that theme verse? Lisa, do you remember what it was? Come on. Come on. Any witness? Eric, do you remember Acts 1? Say it again. That's it. He got it. He got it. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end, of the, end of the end of the earth. And what I said there is that that's the verse that kind of permeates the whole book. And that's going to permeate Acts chapter 14. We're going to see this verse in action. But you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And now it's going beyond Samaria. So this is a demonstration, this section of that taking place when the Holy Spirit comes upon these believers. Let me give you a quick table of contents. Trevor's not here, but Megan's here. So she's holding, she's, Trevor sent Megan to hold me accountable today. So here's a little table of contents uh, for you. The power to proclaim, verses uh, 8 through 18. <clears throat> the power to persevere, verses 19 through 20. 23, and the power to praise, uh, verses 24 through 28. So let's first look at the first section, the power to proclaim, verses 8 through 18. So again, read with me from your Bibles or follow along as I read. So now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands and to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature like you and we bring you good news that you should turn from vain idols to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even at these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. First again, the power to proclaim. So again, we see what's happening here. They arrive in Lystra, Paul meets, Luke makes it really clear for you to understand this man was crippled from birth, never walked his entire life. Paul sees him there, looks intently into his eyes. This man must have, was listening to what Paul was speaking about the gospel and must have said, wow, I believe what this man is saying he can do. There was a sincerity in his heart. And Paul says to him, stand up. Right? He commands them, stand up right on your feet, and he is healed. A lame man from birth rises to this feet. And then chaos ensues. These Gentile pagans, what's going on here? So they think this is awesome. These are gods, right? Paul is Hermes. 
And, 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 and Barnabas is, is Zeus. And as soon as they began, and then, they, then, then the, 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 chief, the chief Zeus guy comes and starts offering sacrifices to them. Paul, because they're speaking in a different language, Paul's not understanding what's going on. As soon as he catches wind of what's going on, he's not having anything of it, right? Tore, they tear their garments off in a sign of, this is heresy what you're doing. You're stealing glory from the only God. What are you doing? Right, that's when Paul gets into that, his first really speech here uh, to a non-Jewish audience. Why are you doing these things? We're a like nature like you. And we bring you good news. Turn from your vain idols. Turn to the living God. Look at the evidences he's given you. Right, look at the sun rising. Look at the sun setting. Look at the rains. Paul's appealing to creation. Come on. Paul is saying, you see what Paul does here too when he's speaking to a primarily non-religious audience? They don't know the scriptures. So he appeals to creation. He says, look at creation. Where else does Paul appeal to creation when he writes? Uh, he writes a whole chapter essentially on appealing to creation that no one is without excuse. Anyone know that? Matt, you know that. Come on. What chapter is that? What chapter? What book is that where Paul appeals to creation and says, no one is without excuse? Come on. Matt, Matt was in my Bible study since 2014. I expected it. Come on. No, Matt, uh, Romans 1. Romans 1, right? Paul appeals to create. I could pick on Matt. I've known him for a long time. Um, uh, come on. Paul is saying, look to creation. So here in Acts 14, he summons his audience to turn to the living God, right? Look at the sunrise. You see, see these, this original audience that Paul was preaching to had a completely false understanding of who God is and how he works. They wanted a God they could make up in their own mind. They found it way easier to believe a false made up God than to submit to the true living God. They had a desire for spirituality, but not truth. And doesn't that still hold true today? We don't need to go do, I didn't even do a Google search. But right, if I did one and put in spirituality, can you imagine how many um, resources I would find in order to be spiritual? And I hear that all the time, meet people all the time. I'm, I'm spiritual, Joe. I'm not religious though. I'm spiritual, right? We look at the rise of the yoga movement in the West. We look at the rise of meditation apps that could go on and on to describe that it is very hip, right? In Hollywood, it's really hip to say you're spiritual. It's just not hip to search for truth. And the human heart is looking for something transcendent to attach itself to, as long as it doesn't require something from you. So what is it for those of us in this room, right? We're not living 2,000 years ago, probably not Hermes or Zeus in this room for any of us, but what is the idol that so grips your heart? What is that little G, right? Money, sex, power, fame, comfort, more Instagram followers, pursuit of pleasure, whatever it is, when we have those things, life is good. And so then life becomes this constant treadmill for more and more at all costs. And then when we lose them, we're wrecked because they are just like Paul said they are. They're vain idols. Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, which I would recommend. They're counterfeit gods that don't have the power to change us from the inside. That when life starts to crumble in whatever form it may crumble, and it will crumble at one point, they cannot sustain us. 
They have no foundation for when the storms of life comes. So friends, that's the question we have to ask us. Paul was primarily speaking, addressing this to non-Christians. I realize in this room it's primarily Christians and Christians still do. We still have idols of our hearts that we look to. We have to constantly battle them day after day. But if you come here today as a seeker, right? Apart from Christ, what is that idol that's captured your highest attention, right? What is that idol that has captured your highest affection? Hearing God's word this morning, he reveals to us a firm foundation that you could place your life on, a God who can be known and loved and who is faithful to the end. If you notice, Paul actually, in this speech, got cut off before he could present Christ because they were offering sacrifices to him, so they had to ditch out. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting cut off right now. So I could present Christ right now, right here. I put him before any in here today who have not trusted in Christ who you've come this morning and you know your life has been a pursuit of one idol after the next and you're just left empty. And so this morning you find yourself here or on YouTube and this morning I put before the only one who could satisfy the depth of your heart. Meet every need of yours, forgive your sins, Jesus Christ, the living God, right? He's not an impersonal force, he's a person. He's a God you can know, a God you could follow and trust. John, I think there's a slide here in John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, 12 and 13, we read, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I would implore you today, any watching this, any here this morning, receive Christ today. Trust in him and become his child. We become a child of God. Okay, let's continue the story. First, the power to proclaim. Secondly, the power to persevere. And I take that from verses 19 through 23. But Jews came up from Antioch and Iconium. I showed that to you earlier on the map. Antioch of Pisidia, not Antioch in Syria. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with, with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it's amazing what happens. In one moment, they're worshiping Paul as a God. The next moment, they're stoning him. (laughs) things change really fast when you have no substance to your belief, right? They just, they're ready to kill the guy. So Paul gets stoned. Paul gets stoned. He has a community, they they thought he was dead. He has a community of believers that come around him. He bounces back and the next day he's preaching the gospel. Amazing, right? I want to hone in right now here on what we read he's doing in Lystra in verse 22. He writes, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What exactly did Paul do when we read that he strengthened the souls of the disciples? I just, when I, I couldn't help but be drawn. Paul, what did you do? You strengthened the souls of the disciples. There's not a Christ follower in this room right now who doesn't need their souls to be strengthened, Right? So I want to get practical here for a moment. I would feel as if I'm doing a disservice to the text and to you all if I just glossed over that and not attempted to do as Paul did. I want to strengthen your souls. Is it multifaceted? You bet. 
right? It comes from the gathered church, being a part of the gathered church, the preaching of the word, right? The testimony of seeing men and women persevere. I was with, uh, talking to a friend of mine on Wednesday night, and she was telling me how uh, there's a woman from uh, the Lincoln Park Church named Diane, and she was saying how Diane has just been such an influence and impact on her life to see in all her sufferings how she keeps trusting Jesus. She was essentially saying she just strengthens my soul, right? So the testimony of men and women persevering the faith. But there's something that I believe that is of utmost essence if our souls are gonna be strengthened that need to be a part of our lives, right? There needs to be a clinging for us, friends, to the promises that God has given us in his word if our souls are gonna be strengthened. And this book is filled with them. And the more your hearts and my hearts are filled with them, our souls will be strengthened. So I wanna do is I just wanna put some before us, both so you can see how that works, but then also maybe that God might use them to strengthen our souls, right? Just, I'm gonna put four before us. First one, Isaiah 41:10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, right? Who here as a Christ follower is not prone to fear? What are you gonna do when fear wells up in you? No matter what the circumstance, how's your soul gonna be strengthened? You have to cling to a promise. You have to go to the word of God and listen to him say to you, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God, right? I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with you. That's a promise to anchor your soul on. Next one, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You come here in sorrow, right? That's real, I can look in this auditorium and know the sorrow people come in here with. You're in grief, right? You need a word to cling to, to have your soul strengthened. What do you do? What do I say to you if you come to me in sorrow? It's gonna get better. Does that do anything to you? I point you to Psalm 34, 18 and remind you that the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, right? See how that does? See how that strengthens your soul when you're clinging to this promise God has made you? Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You're tired, you're beat up, you've messed up. You're wondering, where do I go? Can I go to Jesus? Is he gonna receive me, right? What's gonna happen to me? And what does he say here? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. What about his heart? What, what will I meet when I come to his heart? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Right, that's a promise to cling to. Right, as life beats you up some and you've messed up, can I go to Jesus? You have a promise right there. He invites you to come to him and he tells you his heart that will meet you. Last one, Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, a, with him graciously give us all things? Right, you're doubting the goodness of God and his care for your life. Don't we all battle with that at times? Circumstances in our life. God, how could you be good in this, God? Cancer, loss of a child, depression, loneliness, whatever form it comes in, and you're doubting, God, are you good in this? And as hard as it may be, right, where, where do you go? How, how do you go to have your soul strengthened? What do you do, 
right? Scripture doesn't just say walk around the block and just say to yourself, God is good. It says bank your life on a promise of God. Come to Romans 8 and say, remind yourself, God, if you gave me your son, Jesus Christ, there's nothing more greater you could have given me than him. How, you, how will you now also with him graciously give me all things, right? Friends, this is not an exhaustive list, but I put these promises before you as God's provision to see how they are designed by the Holy Spirit to bring strength to our souls. Every follower in this room needs their soul strengthened. None of us can say this doesn't apply to me. It does. Your perseverance and my perseverance in the Christian faith will be in direct correlation to how strong our souls are. And you will need perseverance because trials are guaranteed. Paul tells us that right here, doesn't he? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Who here wishes that wasn't in their Bible? Couldn't you wish you just like crossed that out? No, no, Paul, couldn't you say possibly? But he says through many, we must. Couldn't he say, well, not must, but maybe just some select few. No, he's making sure that's all inclusive. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't listen to prosperity preachers who tell you there's no suffering in the Christian life. They're false. Turn them off, right? They're not preaching this verse, uh, but this Christianity 101, tribulations are a normative part of the Christian life. You can expect them and not consider them strange when they're happening to you. Sufferings are real and we make no false presuppositions when we tell you that following Jesus will be costly. Our journey to glory will be filled with trial. And again, I can look in this room and people can testify. Don't go to a church that tells you otherwise. But then Paul also says, just as a side note here, that suffering cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18, another promise. Paul says, glory to be revealed, suffering now, there's no, actually no comparison. So there's a glory one day that when we experience it, none of our earthly sufferings, as real and hard as they are, will be able to compare. That's a promise. So how are you going to persevere, friends? Joe Riccardi, brothers and sisters, we have to make it a practice to preach to ourselves this, to build our lives upon the precious promises God has given us so that our souls will be strengthened. And I want to exhort you like Paul did and to, to encourage you to stay in the faith, right? Keep trusting Jesus. Keep believing Jesus. Keep looking to him, knowing him as your delight, as your greatest possession. He says... Open your mouth wide in Psalm 81 and he will fill it. Ask your heavenly father to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Where are you going to find a savior who is gentle and lowly in heart? Where are you going to find a savior? That's Matthew 11. Where are you going to find a savior that tells you in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore? I remember a preacher, one of my, um, a preacher hero of mine said, if anyone or anything can deliver on that, I'm gone. I'm done with Jesus. If you could show me someone or something that can deliver on Psalm 1611, in your presence is a fullness of joy, and now you're right in a place for I am gone. Right? Where are you going to find a Savior who always lives to make intercession for you? Hebrews 7. Where are you going to find a Savior who says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out? John 6. Just come, friends, in our weakness, for it's the only place he pours out his power. Keep trusting him. I want to encourage us to stay trusting and looking to Jesus Christ, encouraging in your faith. We all have places to grow. We never stop growing. Power to proclaim, power to persevere. Let's finish the last few verses of Acts 14 as Paul wraps up the first missionary journey and see the power to praise, verses 24 to 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, 
And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Talia. Uh, and that's where actually someone's going to be uh, speaking here next week from. Where they, and, where the, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had been fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. First missionary journey in the books. Right? Supposedly I read it took about a year or so, year and a half. So Acts 13.3, you don't have to turn there, but we read, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off from Antioch and Syria. Acts 14.27, they arrived and the church gathered together like we're doing now. And they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. Journey starts in Acts 13.33, and it ends right here. And what a celebration of all the Lord had done. In them and through them, and in particular, the Lord brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Right? The, anyone grateful for that? Anyone, look, anyone grateful that the gospel came to the Gentiles, right? Praise God to be included in his plan of salvation, right? That's what Paul's first missionary journey detailed in Acts 13 and 14, the inclusion of most of us. And don't you love seeing the power of the biblical community, which is a repeated theme in the book of Acts? The community that sends them out in Acts 13.3 is the community that receives them back in Acts 14.27. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? A community of praise, a community that celebrates, a community that spends time together on mission to see others experience the saving grace of our God. Well, if that's going to happen, we all have a part to play, right? You have to be committed to the local church if that's going to have to happen. We have to make a resolve that this is my church and I want to li- if I want to live out what took place 2,000 years ago, Lord, you got to show me by your spirit, right? In closing, let me just pull out one principle I see from these verses, right, that apply to us today. Just as the church sent out Paul and Barnabas, and then the church received them back, right? And they were sent out, right? Uh, to proclaim his name, to see the believers disciple, to heal the sick. And when they returned, the church gathered to marvel at the grace of God in their lives and how the door of faith was open to the Gentile world. We too are like Barnabas and Saul, where we get sent out from the gathered church when we leave here shortly and we are commended to the grace of God, and wherever we may go, our neighborhood, our workplaces, our gyms, our teams, we have to see ourselves as sent ones on mission by the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, that our God is alive and he can be made known through the person of Christ. We might send some of you to Turkey. Again, the man who's coming here next week to preach, him and his wife were sent to Turkey last year, right? But most of us are being sent out to West Loop, to Portage Park, to Lincoln Park, to Lakeview, to Streeterville, right? And so we get sent out. We have to see ourselves as sent ones into Chicago to make disciples. And then when we come back next week, that's why we prioritize the local church. You've heard, well, maybe you haven't heard me say it as much here as LP has heard me say it, but there's no more important gathering than the local church on your calendar. This is the most important appointment on your calendar, nine o'clock on Sundays. Everything else should fall second fiddle to this, right? That's right? And we come back next week and we marvel at all that God is doing. We look up to him and looking for the doors of faith that he might be opening, so... We all know there's more to this experience of living by faith in the Son of God than we currently have attained, right? There is a deeper joy. There's a deeper peace. There's a deeper filling of the Spirit that we yearn for. 
And so let's be on guard against anything that would steal that from us, right? The busyness of our lives, the prioritization of building our kingdom, of living for the fame of our name and not his name. Take heed to the example of Paul when they were tempted to worship him and he was tempted, I don't know if he, he doesn't show that he was tempted at all, but he could have been tempted to receive the praise of man. And he said, no, no, this is all about the glory of God. May we be a people zealously committed to making our lives count for his glory and not ours. Paul says, what does he say in Acts? Uh, I think it's Acts 21. I do not count my life as anything nor as precious to myself, but to finish the course that he has set before me to testify to the grace of God, right? I don't, I don't count my life as nothing. It doesn't, I don't value it. It's not precious to myself. Only if I could finish the course that God has set before me to testify to his grace. Let that be our spirit, no matter where you may go, that we would testify to his grace in our lives. And let's believe in faith, like Paul on his journey experienced, that he's opening up doors of faith right here in Chicago. Amen? Hey, let me pray as we close. And so, God, we do thank you for your word. What, what a privilege it is for me to open it up. just feel really blessed. And you know my weaknesses, Lord. Um, thank you for using someone like me to bring the word. And thank you for these precious folks to listen to your word being preached. We thank you for Park Community Church that you have kept now for 33 years where the gospel has stayed center uh, to all that we do. God, we love the story before us this morning. Uh, we love seeing what Paul did by the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming your name in the midst of a hostile land, encouraging the disciples to strengthen, encouraging the disciples to stay in the faith, strengthening their souls, reminding them of tribulations, and then just the celebration that took place. So God, form us more and more into the community that we read of in Acts 14. God, we thank you for what's happening here, the evidence of it, evidences of it all around us here, but we ask for more. We want more of you, more of you, Holy Spirit. Fall fresh on us. Uh, bless us, lift up Christ, and bring saving faith to any in this room who come apart from you, that they would turn from idols and look to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.